Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm in the Summerstown Coffee House, joined by Mark Gregory, author of More Than a Game, uh, a look at how football could rebuild itself. To talk about what has been proposed in the loosest of terms, it seems like, by the Premier League to the EFL. There was an extended piece in The Athletic by Matt Slater um, about two weeks ago now, uh, which detailed detailed uh, bits and pieces of what the offer is from the Premier League to the EFL. It had figures attached but it then came out after that there hasn't been anything that's been formally written down and put to the EFL clubs. All of this matters because it shows how much this is in flux. Similarly, we're recording this on the day of the King's speech, which allows uh, for the setting up of an independent regulator off the back of the Crouch Review. We've talked about the Crouch Review before, but I want to focus, Mark, on this one in on what the deal the Premier League look to be offering the EFL is and how it will operate. And to me... In a sentence, it looks as though it's a solid, if perhaps slightly meagre financial offering with an unbelievable number of conditions attached. Yeah, it's it's more money, which is good news, um, but it comes with conditions, which, as you say, it's the devil in the detail. So, you know, if we look at the money, probably means, you know, Premier League clubs, actually all clubs, sorry, Championship, League One and League Two clubs, all will roughly double the money that they currently get so that's good news yeah. um, for a, a top-end championship club that could be 10 million a season but as you say i think it is the detail that's really there which is how the money's distributed salary caps and other restrictions that are going to be in place that's really going to drive whether this deal makes a difference or not in the first part i want to go into some of those specifics and then the second part maybe try to reimagine how it could work differently to me the 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 parachute payments aspect remains the most challenging. Um, they use the language now, financial sustainability yes. payments that clubs would receive. But there's real continuity in it. And to be really clear about this, there's many things that, for instance, a club like Liverpool, or for that matter, Manchester City, will have pushed for around football and the way in which it's governed in the last however many years. But this will be being driven by the clubs who are at the bottom of the Premier League. Yeah, there is this real desire in there to do everything they can to keep 
and strengthened the position of clubs relegated from the Premier League back down to the Championship. And parachute payments are a main pillar of that. And in this proposal, they're not going anywhere, whether or not they're renamed. Agreed. You know, my view is, as an economist, that gap between the Championship and the Premier League is the biggest single issue in the economics of football. It drives yeah. all the deci- all the incentives there are wrong or will create the instability, as you say, for whatever we call them, the bottom 13, 12, however many they are, you know, and it maybe changed a little bit, and the, the top end of the Championship and parachutes. Really, the Premier League needs parachutes because A, it needs to keep those 13 clubs on side, and B, it wants a better competition. So it wants teams that come up to compete. That's getting hard if we look at this season. Yeah. Bottom four or three from last season promoted and one from the season before. And I think in the Matt Slater's analysis, parachutes go from 46% of the payment from the Premier League to the EFL to 36%. So there's still the biggest slug of that and haven't really been removed. I think it's worth the the real situation there is that in the last three season, seasons, all six automatic promotion places have yet to parachute clubs. Yeah. Uh, that's so. Whilst I think occasionally it's year two the yeah. parachute payments, but all all six automatic promotion payments. So effectively, you're in a situation where what this has created to parachute payments is that 16 to let's say 18 clubs in the championship, maybe 19, are starting the season without a parachute payment or with yeah. a meagre one a year three one. Uh, in a West Brom situation, what's been a Swansea or Stoke situation. They've ended up, therefore, having to plan in year three. I think you've got to begin to work out precisely what yeah. to do it if it goes wrong a little bit more. But the point about this is that you've got sort of 16 to 19 clubs yes. who are massively disadvantaged. Absolutely. And, you know, and the proposals give them an extra 10 million a season, which, you know, the rough turnover, say, is 30 million of those clubs. So they're getting another 10. It's a round of drinks when you think your first season in the Premier League, you're earning £125 million. Pounds. So it, it's kind of nice. It's a bit extra money. But actually, it doesn't make any difference in that game. And also, they still, which they don't do at the minute, the, the, the clubs that now are relegated to the Championship also get the Championship solidarity. Yeah, it's exactly. Which they didn't do prior to yeah. this proposal. Well, they don't do it in the, in the, in the yeah. current reality. So they're, they're benefiting in two different ways there as yeah, well. definitely. So you can see, you know, there's two power dynamics in the Premier League. There's a big six or seven and there's a rest. And, you know, and you can see in this deal, well, the big six or seven ones, and then well, the rest. Can, can I ask you a question about the, the way you think the big six or seven view this? Because I, I, I sort of get the impression they're not that bothered. I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm sort of bouncing around Liverpool to an extent and just sort of reading bits and pieces. I get the impression that I think that we think when we have these conversations, the big clubs think this, the big clubs think this. I think where this sort of deal's concerned when you talk about things being around the drinks, yeah, I don't think Manchester United are bothered by the the, deta- the devil and the detail of this to any great extent. Do you think that as well? Yeah, you know, I think I think exactly right. And the reason is, well, part of the reason is I, I think the what they got out of the Crouch review, Tracy Crouch, personally, I believe, was very keen on preserving the international competitiveness of the Premier League. Yeah. And what that really meant, the ability of the big six or seven to compete in Europe, uh, effectively. And that's been a given. And it's, yeah. you know, it's one of the secondary objectives. But once you have that, then you don't really get into how you might actually really make competition work in the Premier League uh, across the piece. So the big six or seven, I think, have got what they want. And actually, at that point, you look at their commercial, you know, I think it's, Two-thirds of commercial revenue and two-thirds of match day revenue roughly all go to the big six or seven, yeah. depending on who you count in the pot. So actually, they've got a whole set of other income streams, because we're only talking about the TV money 
being redistributed here. So I think you're right. They've got what they want, which is they're really being left alone yeah. to, to do what they want. And the because, European competition. Yeah. Because we're seeing, for instance, in the next, you know, in a yeah. wider sense, Transistly, yeah. being expanded, could yeah. be expanded again in the near future. FIFA Club World Cups starting route bigger, could yeah. go bigger again. It feels to me a little bit like the, the big six or seven are almost like, you can almost do what you want with this. We just want to make sure that we can we can continue to expand and create the gap between us and you because of Europe. If you had, you know, if this was a proper competition inquiry, you would look at it and say, well, you know, the wage bill of the Premier League, four billion pounds, four billion euros, whatever it is, is double the nearest league and more than double the average of the top five leagues. So you say, actually, is this even a productive, efficient operation? Because, you know, if your wage bills double everyone else's, you'd think you should be winning every trophy in Europe consistently, right? No, I know. Maybe, you know, Real, but you look at Real and Barca, they're having to, like, mortgage yeah. their futures to stay in this game, right? So, yeah, I think to our point, the big six or seven, just carry on with it. Whatever keeps you 13 happy that keeps this competition ticking over is fine with those. So then as part of that, I mean, I think there's, I think, a separate point around this this deal where big six or seven come back in which around the, the notion of backing the regulator. Mm-hmm. And that's their bit of, bit of meat in this as well. Mm-hmm. But then other bits of the, of the detail in there that go separate to the money become increasingly difficult. So there is, for instance, the idea that a new cost control system that mm-hmm. UEFA back comes yeah. in. It'll be different to the Premier League the way it'll end up in UEFA. Yeah. But we, you can make at least a, a theoretical yeah. argument around that. But then with the next phase of this becomes that ultimately the championship internally would have its own cost control mechanism. Yeah. But the relegated sides would have a, an advantage in that. I mean, that's the not only and more can more ability to invest money. Yeah. So it's as I understand, you know, Matt's art, article. It's seventy percent of turnover would be for wages and transfer fees, presumably amortised to transfer fees over the the contract length. But the, the relegated clubs would have eighty five percent, and that turnover figure includes transfer fees. And if you look at this summer, you know, of the transfer fees that came into the championship, four hundred and sixty million pounds. 300 went to the three relegated clubs yeah. so so you couldn't create a more favorable environment you know we've cut parachutes in percentage terms a little bit but we're actually giving you all this other stuff that will make it even harder for these teams to compete so roughly the average wage bill in the championship again for the teams you know at round top is about 30 million and maybe they spend 3 million on transfers so 33 if their turnover goes up to 40 under this new thing and they can only spend 70 that's 28 so actually yeah. You've cut their ability to spend while you've given the others an advantage. Yeah, so it's the same story. It's this. I mean, this this whole thing here. There's the cliff edge and this competitive balance. Yeah, and the two different things. And it's important to sort of yeah to make that clear. They end up when you say before about what it is you are or aren't incentivizing. I mean, the one thing that it does do by the putting the cost controls in is it does at least remove the behaviours that lead yeah. to unreasonable risk taken within the championship. That does happen. But then what you're doing is you're completely skewing the competitive balance around, let's just sort of hypothetically allow for the idea of maybe yeah. four to six clubs. Four to six clubs are effectively scrapping out the top of the championship. Yeah. And they'd have to be really badly run yeah. to not genuinely be top of the championship. And if you look at the history of football from the creation of the professional game, it's all been about balancing financial risk and competitiveness of the game. So, you know, directors couldn't take an income... You know, there were no dividends paid, etc. The sharing of gate money in the early days, all that went. And and now we're, we're basically, I think the white paper is clear, the primary objectives are sustainability of clubs and the pyramid, 
and retaining the culture of the game, which is really the community impact of the yep. clubs. Competitiveness are all in the secondary objectives. That's easy. It's it's easy to kind of manage a system where you give up on half the objectives, right? Which is, do we want to compete the game? And my my worry about the white paper out today is, it's backward looking and it's all about sustainability. But if sustainability means predictability, then heart. The reason we love football is because we love it when it's unpredictable. We love the wrecks and story, even if there's you know a lot of money back in yeah. or whatever. But that's what we like, right? You know, the re- re-emergence of Luton, for example. Yeah. All of that is going to be much harder going forward under this regime. I think the, the next sort of phase of this, it's interesting what quickly gathers the attention because it seems to me, and maybe I'm being unfair, and maybe I'm being big club, big club biased, but I don't think, for instance, the championship clubs, as an example, are going to go to the mat or that bothered about FA Cup replays. Is it? And but that's what grabs the traditionalist. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's an easy one-line story. Oh yeah. my God, they want to get rid of FA Cup replays. We love FA Cup replays. Yeah, and we've gone on since time immemorial. I mean, there was a, t- a period where there was second replays, third yeah. replays, fourth replays. We love that. Oh, this is damaging the fabric of the game. Yeah, that's not the same damage the fabric of the game. No, as effectively what this does to the idea of being able to travel, even over a good 10, 15 year plan through the divisions. I mean, there's different fabrics of the game here and. Redistributing money, I think, means there's less of a need to make an argument around replays to accurate the safety net and FA Cup runs. You shouldn't, but it just seems this really odd thing to me that the attention is grabbed by the shiny thing over yeah. here and that the actual underlying numbers go missing. Yeah, and you know, and there's a lot of good stuff in the white paper about you know ownership of identity of clubs, protection of grounds, etc. But ultimately, it's money that enables a lot of that. And actually, I think League One and Two clubs don't do badly out of this. You know, the the extra money will wipe out League Two's loss yeah. in 21-22, and it does about 80% of League One. So that's good, right? I, I think there. And if I was those clubs giving up replays, which are an unpredictable source of revenue against a guaranteed team, seems a very logical thing. And actually... If you ask most managers at clubs in the EFL where they're playing 46 games, you know, yeah. do they want replays? Like first round FA Cup yeah. and second round FA yeah. Cup games. We even think about yeah. Manchester United away. You've got yeah. to through that as well. Exactly. So for me, that seems like a price worth paying in when you're compromising on these things. And then the other one that's got a bit of attention as well is the, the EFL Cup 2 leg yeah. semi-final, which seems even less significant in that. It's a small number of clubs... Yeah, and who really cares? And actually, are two leg semis better than one leg? I'm, I'm not sure. Right? No, no. I think I think as a, as a as a product, and I think this is what I want to come on to, to talk about what we actually think it should be as a product. Yeah. You see what I mean? I think we can get around to that. But then this is where it strikes me. Then the next sort of phase of this, in terms of the, the Premier League putting the weight on, and again, this is nowhere near as as attention grabbing as FA Cup replays is what they want to do with the AFL Trophy. Yeah, which yeah. effectively just turns it into a developmental yes product that supporters of EFL clubs, especially in League 1 and League 2, cease to care about unless they get to a semi-final. Yeah, it feels like that's the emergence of the B team, which we've obviously seen in Europe and always resisted for, for a long time. But effectively, that's where you're going there. So I agree. That seems to me, if I was an EFL club, that's something I've got more of a stake in. Yeah. Because that can be my trip to Wembley. Yeah. On that, that's a proper competition. I think that. With the, and this is what it does get to me about what we actually think the purpose of, of football is, Mark. Because, you know, I, I mean, so far, for instance, I know that Liverpool, Liverpool, when they played, the team have played in the AFL Trophy. They haven't done that well. I think they've only won a couple of games. And here's the way in which it's gone, not least because these footballers have got more experience and they're better than they're given credit for. But I feel a bit like, in, in the fullness of time, that situation 
probably will change yeah and i feel a bit like well i mean part of what football's meant to be about is hope yes and i do just i believe in the idea that we could we could get wembley this season yeah and the idea is just trying to bring about a way to get rid of that just to me seems really murky unnecessary for for very little gain to take hope away from community clubs for very little gain just seems pointless yeah you know if we look, as I said, at the history of the game, the people who were there at the start, they recognised, right? It's about the game as well as about protecting the fabric of the game and its role in society. And we just seem to be heading now to where we're giving up on that competitiveness at various levels and just letting people go with that. And that seems wrong to me because that's the essence of the game, right? That That is where it all sits, ultimately. And also within that, just I think the... the I think the competitiveness is obviously a major thing, but also just the reward. Yeah. Like, you know, it might well be that you could, you know, you, you could throw dice as to which sides will actually get through to the AFL Trophy Final because yeah. there's so many circumstances. You said before, 46 league games, yeah. a weird group stage that shouldn't, we all think, well, I know, I think, shouldn't have the, the Premier League B teams in. Yeah. You know, but even then, it would still be the, how, on any given day, can fifth in League Two be at 14th in League One, can 14th in League One beat second in League One, yeah. and so on and so forth. Could just throw dice, but the point is, therefore, everyone gets to throw dice every year. Yeah, it, you know, and without doubt, you know, Luton on Sunday, their fans enjoyed that a lot more because of where they beat. Yeah, you know, the fact they've been down, you know, they have had they have had bad times, and so the good times are that much better, right? If you just have good times, I suspect you don't enjoy them after a time as much, right? It just fades away if it becomes predictable. Like Bayern Munich, for example, I think you know is is the German league sort of what it should be because Bayern is dominated. I would argue not, right, if you were a fan. Is that watching that? No, you would think not as you go sort of all the way through. The other bit of, again, how this has been staggered, especially in the championship, is also having a meritus split around the, the television payments. I think that makes a ton of sense in the Premier League. And I'd actually argue you could say it could go further in the Premier League. And indeed, some yeah. championship clubs are making that argument. Yeah. And be top and yeah, absolutely not. Yes, exactly. <laughs> But in the championship, what it would therefore lead to is, again, yet more money that filters the clubs that finish in the top six of the championship. Yeah. And, and we've just said before, there's already six clubs that have got a massive advantage there, and then they can budget even further for the idea of, if we come in the top six, the merit payments are much greater than they would be. Yeah, and if you look at the proposals as, as we understand them, you know, that merit is most severe, the distribution in the championship, not in the Premier League, not in Leagues 1 and 2, which again tells you who's driving this process, right? <laughs> you know, it's those 13 clubs we're aligning pretty much every time, but that seems to be where it's at. The, it seems to me, Mark, it's very difficult, I think, to work out what to do with the what we can now call the 13. Yeah. I think that the, they're probably not quite as homogenised as that suggests. Yes. The, currently, for instance, uh, this season... And previous seasons in West Ham's case, Brighton and West Ham yeah. play in European football. I think they view themselves, West Ham especially, again, as a European proposition. I think Brighton want to become a European proposition year in, year out. I think the number of clubs that are European propositions is going to yeah. increase. Uh, as the, but it's very difficult to imagine what does, because of the nature of the block votes that the Premier League has. Yeah. It's very difficult to imagine what duels actually break them apart in a, in a real politic way. And I think you, you've got it there. So, you know, I guess we'd argue Newcastle are edging towards that top bit, although commercially they're a long way behind sort of Manchester City, Liverpool, United in terms of actually getting to compete equally. But I think, you know, Brighton, Aston Villa, I would say, you know, are, 
a big city, big team with now with strong backing, West Ham, a London team with a big stadium. Yeah. They're the swing voters in this. You know, it, if the championship could somehow push them <laughs> on the other side of the line, then you've got 10 and 10, right? And suddenly the voting dynamic looks very different in, in that place. But that's what I think then leads to the next phase of this, which is the idea of the end of regulator, where what supposedly the Premier League clubs are pushing for from the EFL is to support the Premier League's position yeah. around the EFL regulator. And that is where, whether we like it or not, the owners of these clubs, not the even necessarily the yeah. chief executives, but the owners of these clubs, all 20, are, I think, anyway, are, let's be clear about this, politically, spiritually, almost opposed to the notion of regulating. Yes. Part of, you know, that, that we can, we can, we can generalise, I think, that much yeah. to start with. But then from there, I think you end up in a, even though ironically some of them come from American yeah. uh, team sports, which are heavily regulated in terms of what you can and can't do. But there is, I think, this sense of eventually you might want to sell. If yeah. you want to sell, you don't want to sell in a way that makes it harder for yourself. I'm intrigued by, I just feel as though that's what Villa, West Ham, Liverpool, City, this is where there is alignment for everyone. Yeah. Is the independent regulation the resistance to it? I agreed. And, um, you know, a lot of the, when you are foreign owned, actually, because of the way foreign direct investment is generally protected, you've got more protection than domestically owned businesses yeah. as well. So I think they will always have leverage with government, whatever a regulator does. They can sort of say, you know, get the US ambassador in or the trade attache or whatever and actually say, well, we've made this investment yeah. on these terms. Why are you changing it now? So for them, soft touch regulator is, is the best case, right? Because then everything reverts back to the Premier League and you know, then we've got a, the kind of VAR debate at the moment you know a regulator wouldn't get involved in something that's a massive problem I would argue in the game or the relationship with Saudi Arabia that FIFA has again not in not even covered by this so they're trying to shrink it to when it almost becomes irrelevant or close to irrelevant and actually distribution what we've been talking about with the money is really the only lever a regulator's got and the government has actually said that's only a backstop yeah it isn't actually a formal power to be regularly exercised. So for me, you can see exactly why those clubs are heading in that direction. The the Matthias PC, he says, and I will quote, whilst it's for the Premier League's official stance, several of the, its clubs have made clear that they will not vote for the New Zeal as a league shareholders meet if the AFL refuses to back the Premier League's counter-proposal to the government for a very diluted form of regulation. Uh, I'm in this, I mean, anyway, what's in the white paper, as you've said, is seems to me to be pretty low touch within that what's in a lot of these proposals seems to be very staggered towards the premier league yeah so the idea that the premier league that the premier league owners who feel sufficiently empowered to go well where are you going to back this yeah unless unless we get our way on this other thing yeah. and i wonder that that could be the noises of maybe the big six the big yeah. seven where they begin to say well you, you give all those bits we're giving you them we're getting yeah. them to the championship but we need yeah, you're gonna you're gonna back us on this one. Yeah, because ultimately, well, you know, one of the things that people said today in the coverage is it stops the European Super League. I don't think it stops the European Super League. If those clubs wanted to do it, it's not obvious to me how you would stop them. I right? you'd be in the European courts, etc., etc. Well, that, that, that's been a bit of a the, the, the way the conversation on the European Super League has began to get confused because the 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 clubs were never saying they'd walk away from the domestic leagues. Yeah, they were saying they'd walk away from UEFA. Yeah. 
the punishment for walking away from the domestic leagues, the former European Super League, is you get a thirty-point penalty in the yeah. domestic league. But if you're walking away from them, yeah, because they haven't that that wasn't what it was last year. Yeah. It was breaking from UEFA, and this yeah. that case is still to come in December. Yeah, but it was the idea of breaking from UEFA that was the thing that got. But if if you're breaking from the domestic leagues, then you're just breaking from the domestic yeah. leagues, and it doesn't, I think, you know, address those. D- the reality, which is you've got that foreign investment, you know, these investors want a return on their investment. Actually, where will they get more return? You know, potentially by another competition. Meanwhile, you've got Barcelona, Madrid, and, you know, the Italian clubs. Desperate. Desperate, because they can't compete with the Premier League. You look at, you know, they've sold, either the leagues have sold their rights to private equity, or, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid are just mortgaged yep. their futures, if you like. That dynamic hasn't gone away. You know, those, those economic pressures are still there and will continue to be there now you've got obviously saudi arabia whose gross spending was one sixth of all transfer spending this summer you know more than most leagues yeah other than the premier league you know those dynamics i would argue have got more unstable not less and what you need is stronger regulation but you need proper economic regulation in the premier league if you're ever going to be in a position to address that isn't the the source of truth of this where the the soft and hard power is because i think that i think that i'm fascinated by yeah You've got this. You've got the situation where you've got the six or seven and the thirteen or fourteen, but the thirteen or fourteen, as we've said, could begin to fragment. But I don't think they'll rush into that fragmentation. No. Then the other ongoing problem, and this is where it does filter them back to the bigger club. So the thirteen fourteen on everyday matters can sort of push the six or seven around, but what they can never do is push the six or seven around too much because of the point at which Liverpool and Manchester United go. Well, we're just going to go and play with UEFA. We're, yeah. So we're going to go play with Real Madrid. We're going to go. That there's a Liverpool and Manchester United thing as well. That what Liverpool and Manchester yeah. United do dictates everything in a way that probably, in a way, almost intimidates Manchester City and Newcastle when you begin to think of it in a real politics sense. That it is that idea of yeah, they hold they hold another set of cards that's different to these cards. That's different to the EFL's cards. That's different to the government's cards. No, and, and if you look at you know the, the fundamental economics of the TV deal, and there was that research done by I think John Moore's University, which said basically people watch Liverpool and Man United, and then all the other stuff drives TV. Behind it comes off the back of that. But what you had when in the, the sort of late nineties, when the first review of the Premier League was done with the the Blair government, was the agree, you know the agreement that um, clubs could um they'd sell their tv rights collectively rather than individually and if you look at what the experience in spain was before they moved to a collective deal i think that's about a 40 million pound subsidy to each of the 13 each season yeah that is where it all sits right that's the unfair competition with the championship because liverpool manchester united and the other clubs if they sold their tv rights would individually benefit much more of saying we'll stick together because we want a competitive Premier League and here's the money. If they go away, that money goes. You yeah. know, and that ultimately is why the 13 can't push beyond a certain point because fundamentally it just collapses. If if you only need to lose one of Liverpool and Manchester United, you only need to lose all six or seven, but suddenly the numbers start to be Oh yeah, then it, it's all bets are off at that point. No, no, they they plus I guess Barcelona, Real Madrid. And probably buy it just because of their, their fan base. Or you know, they're, they're the most economically valuable properties, and they yeah. drive what everyone else gets. Right. So this is why I wonder whether or not there's you know, not a way. Well, first and foremost, I think a way to approach this that opens different philosophical yeah gateways. You've written a book about it. So I've, I've been kicking around a lot on and off, which is back to the purpose of the why. Yeah. So the idea of community vehicles is over here. The idea of sport and merit is over yeah. here. The idea of 
a wonderful piece of soft power for Britain in the world. You know, we can make yeah. and put it over here. But the I think one of the problems when the Premier League acts like this towards the EFL is they allow the why to be defined solely by cold hard cash. Yeah. And I think that's something which in the long run Agreed. will do these Premier League clubs there. And I think, you know, if you look at the value of the Premier League product, yeah. if it becomes stale at the bottom end, then that will detract from the value, right? You know, the, yeah. the thirteen won't have the same bargaining power if they're there if there's only sixteen of them effectively yeah. in a in a continuous loop. That will take interest away from it. You know, the TV suddenly won't be interesting for those which three teams are going to be relegated at the starting season. Actually, half the games become irrelevant in the modern. So I think it's I think it's actually a, a business issue that why they should be facing that to us. Well, the problem with that is that obviously, I mean, you know, we're talking about Britain as a whole in a, yeah. in a way here, but there's real short-termism yeah. that everyone, and I feel like, again, the bottom 30, I feel as though it isn't, I don't even think conceiving particularly of tomorrow, they would just like tomorrow's the same as yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I think that this has long been the problem. If you go to Project Big Picture, even include the Super League conversation, look at the Crouch Review. Yeah. You've said before, it's very backward looking. I yeah. all of those things in different ways are quite backward looking. Yeah. They're not thinking about, and this is where suddenly you can be side-swiped by a Saudi Arabian investment yeah. or by another sport or by... I think that the... I don't quite... I'm surprised how much the mindset has become, I find, backward-looking in all these different ways, yeah. in all these different standpoints, even down to the traditionalist arguments around League 1 and League 2 clubs. I'm surprised by... Well, I'm not necessarily surprised by the League 1 and League 2 level because it's it, it's a fight for survival. But I'm surprised by it at, at, at the forefront Premier League level when you are dealing with, for instance, family sports. Yeah. That it's not more forward-thinking at times. And, you know, if you take that Saudi example, as I said, you know, about one-sixth of the spent, that's going to drive up wages. It's going to drive up transfer fees for elite players. Yeah. That's going to actually make life harder for the 13. Yeah. You know, so, again, we should be thinking, they should be thinking, you know, what model works here and how can we make this work? Not let's just really focus on today reserve the status quo because the status quo keeps changing around you if that saudi dynamic becomes destabilizing the pressure for a super league gets bigger and the 13 then find themselves in a worse place so why they are thinking how do we make this product as attractive as it come yes there's more risk for us but actually in the long run we that's what we're going to have to face anyway so it's it's a really you know narrow-minded managing to the ownership approach i think is there anything obvious that sort of kicks in from its funk? Because I, I sort of don't think there is. I've, I've worried that something that looks like this deal, I mean, as we said, we got to where we started. It isn't, you know, it hasn't even been properly written down yet. Yeah. So, it, you know, get to that point. But I I can't quite see, you know, I don't think that even a change of government will make that much difference to the to the, the regulatory process. We had it to be proved wrong, but I don't think that necessarily will be the case. I don't quite know, and even if it did, yeah, like the idea that but, but what exactly are we regulating? And why and what are the what, what are the whys? What are the drivers? I I I don't quite know. I almost feel as though it possibly almost needs to be television. It needs to almost, and that that will sound mad, but only television needs to say to the clubs, no, this needs to be better. This needs to this needs to do this. This needs to do this, and that's an ironic thing to say at the moment. Where I would argue this season outside of the bottom yeah. before the Premier League can ever be better. Exactly. Yeah, and no, I think you know that it does look like the top of the championship and the bottom of the Premier League could be becoming stacked out and that will be when I think television's hand made and pushed and also you know if we look at Italy and France again you know the new TV deals TV deals are disappointing yeah. it's, and it's not obvious you're going to get a big boost in the UK you might get foreign rights continuing a, a little bit but and as is, so 
So all those dynamics could come together. I mean, what I would do is I would separate the finances of clubs that go into the Premier League, allow them to invest in that period, but to also have a de depreciation write-off so they can come back into the championship and they don't have that burden and yeah. costs that they've lost if they get relegated. So you basically take out their finances when they go up, if they come back down and just allow, provided it's owner financed, yeah. that they can spend and actually they can, we can then adjust that when they come down. So they don't have to be given 60 million pounds a season yeah. to compete in the championship. The, the owner basically takes the owner. As yeah. You take that out, take that out of the pyramid, if you like. It's, yeah. You know, you've got a chance to compete in the Premier League. If it doesn't come up, you know, fine, you've, you've had a bet at it, but we'll allow you not to be burdened, but we're not going to let you just compete willy-nilly. You'll obviously have some advantage because you'll keep a few players. Yeah, you'll have you, players. You ought to be stronger. You know, we can figure out what... The best in ability is yeah, so on and so forth. what's a reasonable pitch on that? So, yeah. so that would be the financial thing. I think for me, the big, big sort of disappointment in this whole process is the FA. You know, I mean, they... This is their job. Yeah. They failed to do it, and... You know, people have decided they're never going to do it. I personally think the model doesn't work with an independent regulator if you don't fix the FA as well, because things like the World Cup bidding, yeah, you know, all of the rules of the game, the voting, yeah. I mean, the, that's the, the FA issue. Yeah, the disgraceful sort of patting on the head of leaders of UEFA and FIFA, yeah, not not making a stands, not making a point, not yeah, for support. Women's football, racism, a whole set of cross-game issues. You want the FA to yeah. really provide leadership on it, actually take some stuff off the Premier League. You know, why the Premier League runs VAR itself rather than the FA, which kind of owns responsibility for referees, isn't running that system properly just is beyond me. And so how do you put the FA back in at this point? I mean, you know, it's, it's a mystery to me that they keep, you know, they've certainly got, um, you know, one of the new chairs, very well respected, which came from business and really just seems to have been captured yeah. by the system. I think you have to rip away the institutional structure you know I mean, yes i think oxford and cambridge might have lost some of their votes but i think it's a bit more <laughs> wholesale than that right you want a very different voting structure start there and really just try and change it but actually as part of the regulatory process mandate that yeah. the fa's powers are are there because they, they kind of gave away Rare. voluntarily power so, to the premier so league often, yeah you know they didn't have to do that so you know let's reform the whole institutional model as part of this reform of the game not just i think what we're doing with the regulator is just patching a little bit onto a, a problem we're not really addressing the fundamentals of it excellent stuff more than a game is mark's book do most definitely check it out we'll do more on this uh, across the next uh, weeks and months uh, it will be very interesting indeed to see what comes through uh, from the european trial at the end of december uh, but more to come because frankly as mark was just made clear it's not going anywhere Podcast Network.